for years, we've watched TV and movies where people have the ability to speak to the dead, to see the dead, to communicate with them, trying to understand their stories and why they still stay here. I see dead people. Of course, we all recognize that famous line from the movie, The Sixth Sense. A little bit later on in tonight's program, Mackenzie Nichols joins us to discuss the making of the movie, The Sixth Sense. But up first, one of our dear friends, a paranormal investigator, adventurer, podcaster, and TV personality. And did I mention he sees dead people? That's right. Chris Fleming joins us next right here on the very best in paranormal programming. I'm Dave Schrader, and this is my Paranormal 60. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't know. He doesn't stand for baloney. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural, perhaps. Baloney, perhaps not. Would it actually be a gift to have the abilities to see the dead, to hear their stories firsthand? Well, that's something many of us have always wanted to know or wanted to try. That is until some of us, some of us actually see the dead or hear them cry out. It can be life-altering. It's not for everybody. Although we're told that everybody has the innate ability, some work very hard at developing that ability, allowing themselves to be a conduit to the other side, to give voice to history, to those that have been long past forgotten. It's not an easy task, and it can be quite a burden for those that do decide to take that on. I've watched firsthand with some of the most famous, popular TV mediums and psychics out there as I watched them develop over the years. And I've seen the toll it's taken on some of them, and I've seen some flourish. That's what we're going to see next. One of our favorite guests, one of my best buddies, ladies and gentlemen, joining us right here, right now, the star of Haunted Ireland, Haunted Scotland, both running on Discovery Plus and on Max, Chris Fleming. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, buddy. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, buddy. Good to see you again, as always. Exciting stuff going on. Uh, I do want to do this. Let's Before we go too much further, we've got a trailer, a little clip from your TV show, Haunted Ireland. It's known as Spooked Ireland over in the UK on the Real Channel. Correct. And because America couldn't break down and understand what Spooked Ireland <laughs> meant, the Travel Channel, in all of its great wisdom, changed it to Haunted Ireland or Haunted Scotland, depending right. on which series you're watching. But let's take a little taste of what Chris is involved in now. This is Ireland, my home. I'm Vogue Williams, and since I was a kid, I've been obsessed by the supernatural. With incidents of paranormal activity being reported across the country, I've invited spiritual medium Chris Fleming to investigate. So Vogue and I have assembled a world-class team it comes from the left to right. That's insane. This place has a horrific past. It's creepy. Is there something going on? Did you hear that? I can't readily explain that. Whoa. Oh. This is Spooked Ireland. Brand new Spooked Ireland. Friday at 9 on Really or stream on Discovery+. Plus. And I want to tell everybody, please do us a favor. Go watch the shows right now. Watch them as they come out. If you can't watch them immediately, turn them on in the background. Just let them play because it's those first couple of hours, first couple of days that really count towards the success of these type of programs. Yeah. And because the show is based in, in Europe and has made its way over here, we certainly want to see more of Chris and more of the work that he does. It's good to see you back on TV, buddy, and it's good to see you flourishing with uh, with a whole new team. No, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, you know you never know how it's going to go, and you know I'll say it's a surprise, but you know because we were there investigating, we know the great stuff that we got. But I'm blown away, and I know I've just, I've been talking to Ryan every single week when every episode drops. We're blown away on the success of this season. I mean, out of all the paranormal TV I've done for 23 years. 
you know, psychic kicks was a really big thing, of course, dead famous, but it's been a long time since I have seen the type of huge response that we're getting now uh, with this type of series. I mean, we got a great response with me getting back with Gail the first season, you know, in Haunted Scotland. But then this season, the, the responses we're getting, the comments, everything are just mind blowing. Um, in so everybody's very receptive to it. And I think the reason being is, uh, you know, we took a look at the first season. And I, of course, I always watch episodes and I, and I, and I critique them. You know, how can we improve on this? How can we improve on that? Did the evidence get in there? Did it not? Was this explained correctly? And the one big thing we wanted to show more was the, the team atmosphere where everybody got to contribute more. It was Ryan's first season, the first, you know, first time he'd never been on TV like this before and in a series. And we need to see more of Ryan discussing why he's using this equipment. You know, what is, why is that so significant? The response that he got same thing. It's Evelyn, unfortunately had a, her father had passed away uh, during the second season, got really sick. So she had to leave production. So she was only on a couple episodes and this season too, using her expertise as a parapsychologist and her own personal opinion. Um, that's very important for the person that is there to express their personal opinion. So you see a lot of that from Evelyn and from Ryan and, and as well, of course, myself. So the three of us make up the team, you know, and then we have a presenter from that country that takes us around. The person's not normally a paranormal investigator. They have an interest in the paranormal, right? but because it's their country and they know the country and they know these places because they've grown up there, they're taking us around to these places. So what you see, the biggest thing that I really liked was we call it the war room. We call it the, the debrief room mm -hmm. where we get together midway through the investigation and we share what we've gotten so far, whether it's the history, the evidence that we've gotten, we try to piece those things together together because I wanted to see, because I'm one of the associate producers on the shows, I wanted to see from beginning to end that we come to some kind of resolution that we solve. And if we don't, why, you know, that's mm -hmm. the important thing. You see a lot of ghost shows. Oh, we got an EVP, got EVP, this, oh, it's cool. Okay. Goodbye. You know, and it's like, all right, well, who did you actually come in contact with? Who do you think you came in contact with? And if you did, what do they have to tell us? You know, and that's the thing that's always missing from some shows. So because of doing this 23 years, as well as my own personal experience with ghosts and spirits, I want to see that. I want to be able to walk away from this place with some type of resolution or greater understanding of who or what is haunting this place and why. And that's what we do every episode. Do you feel that when you're going into sites, especially that are so old, ancient, sometimes hundreds upon hundreds, maybe even a thousand years old, and you're interacting, do you believe these are fully realized spirits or are they fragments and, and just like a slice of the personality that once lived there and experienced the things that happened in that castle or on that property? Well, it's a good thing is that I do talk about fragments of a person's soul where they're, you know, part of them crosses over, but they leave that human aspect still here. And then some of that we, we tend to know as residual energy. And, and you see a lot of that in the, in these season and in these episodes where we get direct voice phenomenon, like the drums at black at Blackwater castle, where mm -hmm. we ask for something, we catch it on recorder twice. You don't see this part, but I, I heard drums the night before when I, when I was unpacking, checking into the castle and I heard drums. I'm like, what the hell is this? And I looked outside, nobody's outside. Find out there was war. There was, there was battles attack this castle and they play drums. So the next morning, first thing I wanted to do was that's the lead, right? You know, that's the thing mm -hmm. is go find out what was these drums. So Ryan and I go outside Ryan gets his DR60. I said, okay, Ryan, you ask. I, I want you to ask because I already experienced it last night. He asked, can we hear the drums? Plays it back. It's right there. Drums. There's no doubt about it. We go and ask again. We both ask a question. There it is again, two times in a row. We're like, this is crazy. All right. Well, where are you? What are you doing? And all of a sudden the whole crew, well, we had the cameraman and one producer and then myself and Ryan, we hear the drums, direct voice phenomena. And it's coming from across the stream by the force. And we go right there. So you see that part of it. What's extraordinary about that is that we're tapping into the past. And the one thing I learned about consciousness, because after my car accident in 2009 and I suffered nerve damage, which I'm having surgery in December, is I've dealt with problems because of the neck pain takes away from my sensitivities of feeling it. So I had to learn more about higher consciousness, non-locality. So I started practicing that. I go, listen, I'm greater than my physical body. And it's nothing, you know, I got to go past this and I'm connecting with spirits by my consciousness anyway. I was able to start tapping into the past because I had done that on one episodes of dead famous with Billy, the kid getting the gunshots and hearing the deputy say, help me, you know, and it's captured in the recorder. So how are we able to go into the past? Well, we know place memory stone tape theory, they call it in the UK is you can tap into that energy that's recorded there. 
And when you tap into that with consciousness, you don't need the physical body, you use consciousness, is you're able to release that. And ironically, in some incredible fashion, electronic voice phenomenon or ourself is able to hear that fragment from that time period, which is what we get with this direct voice phenomenon. So for me, it's fascinating because it tells us that time is not really horizontal. It's all stacked right there. And if you, it's not really going back in time or going forward in time, but it's accessing that space. So if you can access that space with your consciousness, you're able to get that. And that's one thing having, I had with Barry when we were doing Help My House is Haunted and I've got with Ryan, you know, I've got this ITC guy there to, to collect that and record that and document it. And for them, it's extraordinary. So I found that's one thing that, you know, untapped in the paranormal is getting a greater understanding of that and documenting that, you know, and I've been doing that for years. So I find that fascinating is you get those fragments from the past that are there. But even in getting that, sometimes you can bring forth from that, elevating that up to present. You can get spirits that are attached to that from the past that are now present with you. All right. I want to ask you what's going to probably sound like a really weird question to a lot of my audience. But knowing you and knowing your fascination and pushing the envelope when it comes to exploring the strange, right. we know that you know Native American, indigenous <laughs> tribes, people... Uh, talk about spirits of the earth, spirits of trees, spirits of everything. Nature, though, spirits, everything yeah. is a living, breathing element of its own. And over in Europe, it's it's similar. They just have different names for it, the fae and, and elementals, elementals yeah. and things. Do you yeah. think that when we're encountering some of these things, it's not necessarily the ghost of Dave Schrader, but it is it is the elemental beings, the, the ancient beings that are releasing kind of like a, you know, a cosmic blockbuster. They're giving you that DVD, if you will, to see that moment in time, to experience that as keepers of time and as keepers of the land that they are so tied to and find so sacred. Do you think that they're ever instrumental in helping us in communication or hearing and seeing these messages so that we don't forget? Well, I mean, there's spirits in all different realms. You know, you talk about aliens and stuff like that, demonic and angels, and then elementals. Um, and I remember many years ago, Grant had told me when they went to Ireland that they came in contact with elementals. So it was my passion and dream to always go there and try to communicate with them. Right. We did that in Scotland. We did that in Ireland. We came in contact with these tree spirits, nature spirits, elementals, phase, whatever you want to call them. They all fit into a very similar category. And it's extraordinary. And I came to the conclusion because when we were doing Help My House is Honor, we came in contact with a pixie at the Devon house. Not only did I see it, but we caught it on recorder and he caught an SLS with these three short figures come out of the walls. And then they just, it's like, that's incredible. So the fact is, is that these things exist. There's no doubt about it. So all the myth, legends, and, and everything, there's variation stories of the actuality of these things, of their presence. I came to the conclusion that I believe a lot of hauntings, okay, not all of them, but majority of hauntings are either being affected by negative entities such as imps and these other type of part elemental, part demonic, as well as elementals, that there's always some type of elemental involved. And I find that fascinating because they can blame it on the ghost. I mean, it doesn't, but you can have ghosts there and elementals at the same time. It's simultaneous and we've had that. But I find that there is a lot of these nature spirits, these other type of entities that are there causing the hauntings and they don't want to be known. They, they want us to think it's a human spirit. So that's opened up my, my eyes to these other realms of existences that I find fascinating. And I have just multiple, multiple recordings of conversation with these entities and them even saying who and what they are, whether it's a satire, whether it's an elf, whether it's a gnome, whether it's a fae, I have the recordings. And as crazy it might sound, and I really don't care anymore, because once you've seen these things, once you've got repeated data, repeated communication with them, you come to the conclusion, wow, wow, this is exciting. This is no different than anthropology or biology is, you know, and finding some new type of species, but they're not new. They've always been there. And the thing is, what can I learn from them? And in these communications, when I say communication, I'm talking not only psychic, but I'm also talking ITC. I have the recordings, okay, mm. where they tell us they went back into the mountains and hills because they're being hunted back in the old days. You know, humanity was hunting them down because they were considered evil or, or part of the offspring or the fallen, whatever you want to call it. And they retreated back in the forest. And then after that, they retreated back into the ether. So they are outside our visual spectrum. Now, what I find interesting is I'm going to say this because this is so new, is you have these whistleblowers coming out talking about aliens and various species. And they don't call them extraterrestrials or aliens anymore. They call them non-human biologicals. And the reason for that is that they've discovered not only of these uh, species being in other planets, 
other dimensions, but also they state there's beings interdimensionally. Interdimensionally. What is interdimensionally? Well, if we look at our third dimension, in understanding our third dimension, we take a look at the electromagnetic spectrum, which some call the ether. All right. I had a great conversation with Bill Chappell about this. It's the ether. All right. So the electromagnetic spectrum that we have, we only see 10%, which is the visual light spectrum. 90% we don't see. Okay. So 90% of our dimensional spectrum, we don't see. There's the interdimensional. Okay, so now we're looking at this 90% where they can exist. They're retreating back into the ether electromagnetic field away from us to where we can't see them, okay, because we don't have the eyes built for that. Plus, our technology is starting to go into that with, with night vision and ultraviolet and other type of cameras. We can start to slowly get in there to see these visual things, but sometimes they can pop into our spectrum and pop out. There's the interdimensional. So now you have whistleblowers coming out and say, well, there's interdimensional beings. I believe, okay, is that we are dealing with some of these elementals and these tree spirits, these other type of entities that are interdimensional. That's why they don't call them aliens because they're right here. They've always been here. So for me, I find that actually fascinating. And it's a part of the paranormal that I think is growing. There's some paranormal, they're, they're so narrow-minded. So it's just ghosts, demons, or angels, and that's it. Or there's no such thing as other things. It's just all demons, all ghosts. And when you hear the, this criticism of there's no such thing as imps, there's no such, I laugh because, well, I've been seeing them for since I was a child. Now that I have actual ITC, direct communication with them, collaborating with other investigators, we know that this is exciting. So it's no different than a scientist making a discovery and other scientists try to poo-poo them and say, oh, it's not real. Well, you know, that's what's great about the paranormal field. It is a form of science, but it's also a form of experience over and over again collecting this type. And I find it fascinating. And that's one thing I've gotten to really experience when I've been in Scotland and Ireland doing these investigations. Now, how do we know, though, that when we're coming into contact with, quote unquote, human spirits, human yeah. uh, fragments of who we are, that it truly is that? And it's not these imps, these elementals, right. these ancient beings uh, trying to trick us because we're engaging with them. We're giving them energy. We're giving them attention or accolades, whatever it is. How do you separate that? Good question. Number one is discernment. Okay. Because of my experiences I had as a child, my abilities, I'm able to discern whether it's man, woman, child, human, or otherwise. But the other thing is you ask them, we've been to haunted locations and I know there's a negative entity there and I can't exactly place what it is yet, but yet I know there's a female and there's a male spirit. So I asked them, okay, the human spirits that are here right now, is there something else here besides you that is non-human? They said, yes, monster. Yes. Little devils. Yes, demon. They'll tell us what it is. Now we know, okay, we've got the human spirits here. We got this. Now we start working on this. I know what these imps sound like because I've been recording them since 1980. All right. So I have them on audio all the way back from then. And I know their voice. It sounds like a little child, very raspy, kind of bug like. And Barry's caught on his recorder, other investigators I've worked with. We match it up and it's so similar. They have this certain voice pattern that we know it's them. And they like, what is their fear? You know, like they want to know what our fear is because they can use that against us. But I also have a recording saying I was pretending to be his dad. And then you hear this bigger demon say, I'm proud of you. Just like a child. It's like, holy cow, it's pretending to try to be my dad. Right? So they can pretend to be someone and they're not. That's why you have to ask all these questions and be very careful in the responses. Oh, it's a child. There's a child here. How do you know it's a child? Ask more questions, make sure, you know, because remember, we're not seeing into that 90% of that spectrum to see exactly what they look like. So I always ask two or three times to make sure. And if it's not a human spirit or if it's not what I think it is, they'll start cursing at me because they're like, gosh, darn it. He won't freaking believe us. Right. So I find it fascinating. Now, again, we're talking about uh, haunted Ireland, which is brand new. You can watch it on Max or stream it on Discovery Plus. Chris Fleming and his partner Vogue, along with their team, go out and investigate some of the most famous haunted sites and are coming into contact with many different types of Entities. hauntings. Yeah. yeah, not just the human element that we've often uh, and she, associated yeah. with it. Is for yourself going out there dealing with things that are much more ancient? Uh, do you, I, being as sensitive, I know that you guys can get overwhelmed at locations. Are you ever overwhelmed by the power and the age of some of these beings? No, uh, because I know that we come from the source, we come from the creator. But then also I've had past life regressions, knowing that I have a life going back to the Sumerian day with the high priests, uh, which is like the very first civilizations that we have documented before, you know, there was stuff before them, but that we know of. 
And then I have going back to being a Roman, which is why when we were always in certain locations where there was, you know, experiences of Romans, we would get Roman stuff, whether we heard Roman marching, direct voice phenomenon, or we heard other stuff on the recorder saying Romans fall back. So it's because I've had a life as a Roman in my past life regressions that I've done. So for me, it realizes I've had many lives, you know, they say many lives, many masters by Brian Weiss, but I've had many lives. I don't know of all those lives, but in some of the places I go, I had a really big familiarity. Like when I was at Chillingham Castle, mm -hmm. they were telling me he's back. And, and I'm with me, I've back and never been before, but I had a life there. And I had a dream about it, you know, eight months before we even went there that we were going to this place. I told Zach about it. So for me, it's like, you know, uh, there may be connections we have that we don't remember that we had in a past life. And that could be the reason why we're getting a lot of responses to that similarity of that ghost spirit or location. So for me, I always keep that open mind that maybe I've been here before. Maybe there's some type of connection. And usually if I'm thinking that way, I'll get a response that's related to that. So for me, it's like when we deal with the spirits that are very old, like you can learn from them as well with their terminology. For example, went to uh, Jamaica and I uh, know actually I was in Mexico with the Mayans and I went to a cenote. Cenote is these big caverns that fall and you have to be careful. You don't step and fall into one. Well, this mm -hmm. one was like a hundred feet down. I mean, it's terrifying, right? So I take out my recorder and, and I put it in a bucket and we put it down in a well because this thing goes all the way down to the well, right? To the cenote because it's too dangerous to get down there. I pull it back up and you hear these voices going, who is that? It's a walker. They call us a walker. They're walkers, right? We're walkers. Now we're not talking about the, you know, the walking dead. We're talking about that these spirits are no longer trapped in the physical body so they can fly around, move quickly. They don't have to walk. They just go by thought from here to there and they fly around. They call us walkers because think about it. We have to walk to get from one place mm -hmm. to the next. So it's fascinating what you can learn from some of these ancient spirits. When we were at the Florida Lee during Help My House is Haunted first season, we had a well there and I put a recorder down there. We had some negative ancient spirits there. They were telling us that they were there back in the days they were worshipped by the pagans. You know, because they were considered tree spirits, but they're not. Did you ask them what did they do to get them stuck in the bottom of a well? Then, no, it's they live underground. That's the thing in cavern, caverns and 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 area and tunnels and stuff like that underground. Okay. And there's a lot of mine places around there too in the in the UK that we're at, so they tend to live down there. They're tree from humans, but they'll come up from the ground. Well, because the wells there, they go right through walls. And here's the thing: you learn some of these elementals is that they don't have the same physicality of three-dimensional body that we have. They can pass through things, just like ghosts can go through a wall and stuff like that. They're more spiritual than physical. So they can pass through stuff. So when they're in these caves and caverns, it's not like they have to look for a front door or a tunnel that's going to take them outside. They know there's a well there where there's another opening. They just pass through some of that dirt in the ground, and they go right to that well, and then they shoot right up. So it, it's you have to think in their type of reality of how they move about. And in knowing that, I know if there's anything that's going to go farther above the ground, unless we dug a hole, is I can get access to that. But we knew stuff was coming from that. And, you know, they used their fear. All of a sudden, there's this big spider that's on my chest crawling up me. How the hell did it get there so quickly? And I'm terrified of spiders. So I quickly, you know, when I raced away from there. So they're trying to use certain things to get you away. And that's why they always ask, which I have recordings, what is their fear? You know, because if they know our fear, then we'll leave them alone. Why are these ancients using uh, vocalizations we would recognize? Well, you would think that in some of these areas, you know, even in Ireland, there's parts where, you know, I've been there on tour and a few times where our tour guide will even say they have a hard time understanding the people in this area. Right. Um, and they have to listen closely to what's being said. And there's Gaelic right. and Irish and, you know, slang and, and different versions of the languages that are spoken. Why are we getting EVP that's clearly Americanese? Well, you know, verbal communication for us is a human thing, mm -hmm. right? When you're in consciousness, it's all thought. All thought is known. So th thought can be manipulated into whatever that you can understand. You know, for us, we, I, don't know, I don't know that language or I got to learn the language. Everything's slow. It's based on time. But for them, they know, oh, speaks English, you can talk to us right in English. Now, if we ask them, can you speak to us in this language? We've gotten EVPs and ITC like that. I remember I was, I was at a university and had a whole group around. We had the spirit box. And there was a couple individuals there that were Assyrian. They said, well, have you ever heard of Assyrian? Assyrian, I don't know. So they asked the spirit box, you know, when you talk, I don't know if it's Armenian or Assyrian, they asked for that particular language. I said, well, listen, I don't know it. So I don't know what comes through. You got to listen for it. And they're jumping up, jumping up and down like little kids going, oh my God, they just said this. They said that. And they're talking back and forth in their language. And I'm sitting there going, what's going on? <laughs> I don't understand. They said, this is incredible. I go, and they're explaining, this is what it meant. This is what they just said. 
and they're talking back to us. I said, so are you telling me that right now they're speaking your language? I said, yes. So all I had to do was ask. So for, for other investigators, if, if you want a different language and you have someone there that speaks that language, we've done this at some of your events, Dave, right. in German and in other languages. When we were on the ship, Queen Mary, someone spoke German and they responded back in German, you know, or Russian, whatever it was. And it, to that, it's extraordinary. But if they know you just speak English, they're going to speak English. Now, I was just at the University of Texas and a woman spoke Spanish. So she started talking Spanish. They started talking back in Spanish. She's like, oh my God, you know? And they asked, what was my mother's name? And she said it in Spanish and said the name, you know? So the thing is, is like they, to communicate, they're going to cut through the crap and they're going to get right to understanding what you can receive. And if you receive English, they're going to talk in English. It's very simple. You know, we tend to think so humanistically that it's got to be this language or that language, or why don't they speak this? Language? Well, you know, when you're out of the spirit, when you're out of the physical body and your spirit, your consciousness at a higher consciousness that just communicates directly. It doesn't matter what you spoke before. Hmm. It's universal. Now, the new season is out and available on Discovery Plus and Max. For those of you over in the UK, you can watch it on the Really channel. Uh, the show is Haunted Ireland. When you go there, Chris, do you, when you're setting foot on these ancient grounds, do you see the dead? Are they watching us or are you more just picking up on the auditory and impressions that there are things there? Well, it could be both. You know, sometimes I don't see them. I feel them, but I see them in my head. And then sometimes I'll see them. Like we're in Edinburgh and the tombs in the vaults. All of a sudden this guy's walking towards me with a, with a big cloak and he's got a torch and you can tell it's all dirty as he lives underground. And I'm like, whoa. And, and then he's gone. You know, I'm like, I had to question myself. Did I see it with my eyes or did I see it in my head? It just seems so real. Like I saw it with my eyes, but someone behind me didn't see it, but yet I did. Okay. So for me, it's like, sometimes you gotta, you gotta wonder, am I seeing this with my own eyes or am I seeing this in consciousness? It always helps when you have somebody else there. But like when we were on the battlefield, Agram, I can sense all these spirits that were watching us, but then Ryan started feeling it too. And so did Christian, one of the other guys, the investigators that was with us. Now I look at some of my photographs and you see this mist. This mist came in out of nowhere and then it retreated, right? It mm -hmm. came forward because we were going to do the ITC and we started speaking with them. And then when we were done, the fog left. Now I look at some of my photographs and I zoom in. I'm like, oh my God, it looks like there's some type of shadowy figures that are within all those fogs. So, you know, it, it could be multiple people can experience it or just the individual because he's in tune consciously to that brain frequency that they're recognizing. And we know this with EEGs, QEGs and stuff, they can find your brain frequency and they can communicate. That's why some people hear voices and other people don't. It's because their brain frequency is a specific tone and they tune into that. Now we know individuals, they hear voices. We take out digital recorders and we capture those voices. Why can't we hear it? Because their brain frequency is different. So there's a lot that paranormal investigators need to know mm -hmm. about the brain and consciousness that will help them in their investigations instead of ruling everything out. They're missing a lot of stuff by not understanding that. We only have a couple of minutes left. I'm curious when you see the dead, do they appear to you like in the movie, the sixth sense as they appeared at the moment of their death, do they appear to you healthy? What, what is the, it depends, you know, it, 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 they can be presenting themselves to me the way they want to be presented. I can see a cloaked figure. I can see a semi-manifestation. I can see a knight that's all in black. Example, my dad died at 73. I'm mm -hmm. at the hospital walking down to his body and I see a man standing there over there. He's like 30 years old and he's just standing looking at us. Nobody else saw him. I'm like, who the hell is that? It was my dad when he was 30 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why is he appearing to me that way? Because the best memories I have of, of my father when my family was together was when my dad was 30 years old. So he showed himself to me because that's how he wants me to remember him. Not when he was overweight and sick at 73. Right. But I'm, I'm wondering about the battlefields. And yeah. The oh, no, you'll see knights. You'll see knights. You'll see women in these dresses of time periods of 1800s or 1500s. You know, no, you, you will see that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and are they despondent? I mean, when, when you see them, are they, do they look sad like they are truly lost or are they still moving in their own time era? Are they seeing their own thing? Okay, Blackwater Castle. I woke up middle of the night. We spent the night in the castle day before we started filming. I woke up. I'm like, why am I up? And all of a sudden, a woman comes right out of the wall, goes right past my bed, goes through the wall. And then 15 minutes later, Ryan has an experience. It's 2.30 in the morning. He tells me in the morning, 15 minutes later. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just saw a woman. She didn't even, didn't even look at me, just walked right by. So was that residual or is that something? Then... 
I get woken up about a half hour later and there's this cloaked figure in black with red eyes that is speaking. And this was sinister looking. It was scary. I was like, help me, help me. I'm like, what the hell? So I go to grab my phone to film it and he's gone. Now I have the footage of when try to film it when he's gone, but it's two different types of apparitions. One, right. the woman was glowing that was going by. This other one was like a person was there with the cloak in the dark, but his eyes were the only thing that was glowing. So it was kind of scary. Like someone's really in my room. It's not just a ghost residual that's going by. So you have two different type of, of apparitions. They're going to appear to themselves based on their past. And you know, it's, it could be different. That's what I find fascinating about ghosts. They don't always don't show themselves the same way. And it, they, they recognize, like I said, the woman walked by, didn't even pay attention to me, but the other spirit did interact with me. Haunted Ireland is brand new. It's on Max streaming service, and you can stream it on Discovery Plus. How many episodes can we look forward to, Chris? There's 10. Uh, eight of them have already aired. Uh, they drop on Tuesday. So Blackwater Castle is going to drop tomorrow on Tuesday in the, in the United States, Discovery and Max. And then the following week will be the last episode. So you can watch all eight episodes right now on uh, HBO Max and on Discovery Plus, and it's called Haunted Ireland. If you like that, go back and watch the very first season, which is Haunted Scotland. Spook Scotland, Haunted Scotland. Awesome. Thank you very much, Chris. Always great catching up with you, buddy. Thanks for having me, buddy. Have a good day. Yeah. Amazing. Make sure that you get a chance to go watch that show. And uh, again, go watch these programs immediately and share them. Tell your friends, tell your relatives, neighbors, coworkers, get them on board to watch these programs. If you want more paranormal programming and you want to see more history like this played out in front of you, that's the best way to get it taken care of. We have to take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores, passing those sweet, sweet savings directly to you, my darklings. It has been such a good change for me. I've saved so much money in switching over to Mint Mobile with all of my family and so many people bleeding me drive. I was so happy to find some relief, and Mint Mobile has been that relief valve. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. So say bye-bye to overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages, and say hello to relief. Thank you, Mint Mobile, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash p60. That's mintmobile.com slash p60. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash p60. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Come on out and see me this weekend, December 1st through the 3rd. I'll be at GalaxyCon Columbus. That's right, GalaxyCon is in your backyard, Ohio, and I'll be there too, along with a lot of your favorite Star Trek actors, so many amazing voiceover actors. You can meet Steve Whitmer, the voice of Kermit the Frog will be on hand, and so many amazing guests, panels, and discussions. I'll be hosting five or six paranormal discussions this weekend alone. So when you get your membership and you come on into GalaxyCon, you can also see me and see all the fantastic vendors and things that they've got going on. Don't miss. Go check out galaxycon.com. All right, my friends, let's have a frightfully good Australian adventure. Tickets are on sale right now. You can join me, Renata and Anne from True Hauntings Podcast, as heard right here on the Paranormal 60 Podcast Network, and join us as we investigate different spots throughout Australia. And we start off our journey on February 29th through March 9th. There is, um, I think, one year same as cash that you can do, you can sign up for. There's different payment plans available, so go check it out. You will have the opportunity to investigate some of the most famous and awesome 
historic locations in Australia as Anne and Renata take us through, and they will show you some of the most amazing techniques to investigate the paranormal. I'll be on hand. We're going to have a great time, and I hope that you'll consider joining me. It is one of only two foreign adventures I'll be a part of this year, Australia, and then later this year in September, another England trip where we will be visiting the Festival of the Unexplained. But come on out and spend some time down under as we head off to Australia this March, February 29th through March 9th. Get more information at darknessevents.com. That's darknessevents.com. I See Dead People, The Making of the Sixth Sense is a brand new book written and put out by Mackenzie Nichols. And she is an entertainment journalist. She weaves together interviews with M. Night Shyamalan, some of the stars from the movie, crew members, and others into this oral history of how this iconic movie was made. Nichols gives a collective account of the unusual filming process as well. Principal photography took place in the soon-to-be-demolished Philadelphia Convention Center in which cast and crew experienced inexplicable paranormal phenomena. We're going to be joined now by the author, Mackenzie Nichols, a former staff writer for Variety. She's written oral histories of such films as Gladiator, Wedding Crashers, Jennifer's Body, and has interviewed people from Russell Crowe to Ridley Scott, Megan Fox, Sigourney Weaver, Zoe Saldana, and so many more. She is here tonight to talk to us about one of my all-time favorite films, the Sixth Sense. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Mackenzie. Thank you for having me. This movie, right? I remember going out to see this. Uh, we got off early from work one day. My boss loved scary movies. All we heard was that there was this amazing new horror movie coming out. We went in, checked it out. And I remember just the gasp at the yeah. end of the movie, collective gasp, and just the look of shock on the faces of 300 people there to see the new Bruce Willis film, completely taking us off guard. And what an amazing thrill ride that that movie was. Yeah. Um, why do you think it is still so enduring today and endearing to people as one of the best horror movies and paranormal themed films out there? Um, I would, I would say that, um, that people, especially after that movie came out, became even more interested in the paranormal. Like there were, there were studies done and research done that, um, that a lot of folks after seeing that movie were like, okay, this is, this is real. Like this, this is totally, um, something that I could see happening. And I think, you know, with TV shows, like, uh, there's, Tyler Henry, who has a TV show, and he's right, a medium. Hollywood medium, right? Yeah, Hollywood medium. Same with uh, the Long Island medium. Um, there's, I think that there's always been an interest in the paranormal, but especially after that movie came out, people resonated with the character and resonated with um, Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osment's relationship as mother and son. And um, I think I just think that people, after seeing that movie, and even more like after that, um, were just more interested and more convinced that this kind of stuff is real. And I think it endures the, the twist itself. I mean, it's, it's kind of bizarre. I feel like if the movie was made today, it would be a lot harder to keep that, that twist secret. Right. Um, and I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Like the, the reaction that a lot of these people are having when they watch this movie, even to this day is, you know, it's been a well-kept secret for mm -hmm. whatever reason. I am not sure totally why, but I think that the way that Shyamalan, you know, directed it, the way that he focused on the relationships between mother and son and the relationship between Malcolm Crow and his wife. And um, yeah, I, I, I just think that the way that it was directed and the way that the screenplay was, it just, it resonates to this day. And even, I mean, and after that, it just, there was a huge boost in um, paranormal, um, paranormal TV shows and things like that. Interesting, um, right. Like the dead files and, Ghost Adventures and and all of those types of shows as well. Um, yeah, so I think it really changed people's perspectives and um, thinking like, oh, you know, maybe this is maybe this is real. Maybe right. these the, kids see stuff. Yeah, the entertainment landscape opened up to new concepts. Where mm -hmm. you know it was interesting too when you go back and you revisit the movie. Um, how long ago did that come out? Now, ninety nine. Wow. How could it be that long already? I, when, I, yeah, it's pretty when, crazy. When you yeah. go back and watch the movie and hear all these 20 some years later going back to revisit, it's interesting because there's still subtleties you can find 
yes. in the movie that were telegraphing you aspects of the end and about mm -hmm. the character developments that are pretty remarkable. And, you know, it, I think that that is part of the excitement too, is that you think you've seen it all until you sit there sharing it with somebody who has yet to experience it, whether it's one of my kids or grandchildren, and we're sitting right. down to watch it. And I love watching their reactions, but then catching things that I didn't know uh, or, or realize throughout the first 20 viewings of this film. Yes. Shyamalan really had a great narrative and a great way of of weaving so many different elements of a story together that you think you're watching one cohesive story. And like Chris Fleming was just talking about, it was time happening all at once in different ways. Yes. And you can see those, those threads throughout the entire movie that if you were paying attention to it, you could actually see it unfold before your eyes. Um, yep. What was the, the, the germ for M night Shyamalan to, create this movie because he worked on it quite a while before it was ever realized. Yeah, he did. So he started writing it when he was 25 and he ended up selling it when he was 29. And I think it over, I think it underwent uh, like 10 drafts, maybe, maybe even more than that. Mm -hmm. Originally it was supposed to be more like the silence of the lambs. And it was supposed to be uh, that Bruce Willis was a crime photographer and his son would see the dead and would help him in his, um, like crack the cases and things like that. So, gotcha. um, so it was more like that. And I think over time after the drafts developed, he started to have other ideas in terms of where he wanted the storyline to go and where he wanted, um, yeah, he wanted the characters to be like and how he could weave the story and, and things like that. But it did, it took a while. He said, I mean, he told me it took, you know, a long time to write that I screenplay. Would, I would and, love to see the original uh, versions of the screenplay, has he ever considered putting those out? I I read it. I, you can you can find it um, online. You can ride the, you can write uh, read the screenplay. Um, and as you were saying that you know you were talking about going back and rewatching it. I don't want to like give away the ending for people that don't. Well, anyway, um, but there's right. this one there's this one scene <laughs> there's this one scene in particular that was so smart to me, and it was when Malcolm Crow and Anna Crow, his wife, are at dinner. And she is there. It, it's it, it looks. It seems like they're talking to each other. When Bruce is like, "I'm sorry that I'm not here for you. I'm sorry that I'm not there." And she doesn't respond. She's not responsive the whole time. And you're thinking that she's just mad at him, but later you realize what actually occurred. Right. So I love that. I think that that scene is so clever, and um, I just think. You know, it. I mean, the screenplay was beloved by everyone that read it. Um, when he went out to L.A., he said, I'm either going to sell this for one million dollars or I'm not going to sell it at all. And he ended up having this huge bidding war between all the studios and Hollywood Pictures ended up bidding for two point five million, which was just outrageous for that time in the late 90s. Um, so, I mean, he knew he had something special and he was going to fight until and then and, you know, he was like, you got it. He said, and, and I wrote this in the book, that you have to not be bluffing when you say that, you know, like you have to go in there and you have to say, no, like I, I believe in this script. I'm, I mean, I'm getting uh, one million for it. I'm going to be director or I'm going to shelve it. And he worked ended for up Stallone, right? Huh? It worked for Stallone with Rocky. He exactly. stood by it, refused to relinquish control or and ended up creating one of the most uh, loved and beloved character franchises in, in the world. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it really, I mean, I think that some, some people were like, Oh, this is a rookie director. Like, I don't know about this. So like they actually Hollywood pictures um, worked with spyglass spyglass had just come out at that point and they ended up working together to co-finance it because they thought, um, Oh, you know, like we're worried that it's going to be a rookie director and nobody's going to want to watch it. We need to co-finance this so that it doesn't all land on Disney, you know? And looking back, Joe Roth said, you know, I, I wish I had just done it with 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 Disney Pictures or Hollywood Pictures or whatever, instead of asking for um, co-financing just because it did so well afterwards. Right. Um, and I think that it really had um, an international intrigue as well, because Bruce Willis was so big, not only in the U.S., but, you know, in other territories and things like that. So having a big name like that attached was was really crucial and. Um, I'm glad they got him for that role because he was perfect in it. He was he was great. And it was a total departure from what he had normally been doing. 
So that also was kind of intriguing as well. Yeah. And you know, I, I love that even the intricacies of the names he gave to his his players throughout, right? Here you've got this little boy who can see the dead people and his name is Cole Seer, right? Oh uh, yeah, Seer. Whoa. Oh yeah. And uh, Malcolm Crow, and the crow is, of course, uh, symbolic of death, and wow. so many different elements of these characters that it was he was telegraphing it so beautifully without playing it in a way that was um, objectifying or or making you feel like you're so dumb. I have to let you know who these people are and what they're doing. And it wasn't that way. It was just clever screenwriting and storytelling. Yes. But I think it's fascinating, too, when they start developing a movie and they start filming something that's based around a paranormal element, uh, only to have the paranormal start to show up. And I want to talk about that next, but we have to take a quick break and we'll be back with real ghost stories behind the making of The Sixth Sense right after this. Innovation. Creation. Vitality and joy are the pulse of MySoulTopia.com with many custom creations for the mind, body, and spirit along with classes, intuitive sessions, coaching, and healing energies. MySoulTopia.com strives to bring sophistication with a twist to the metaphysical and the holistic market while raising the community's vibration and channeling the new paradigm, which means new and exciting adventures for all. MySoulTopia.com is utopia for your soul. Visit MySoulTopia.com, your one-stop shop for all your metaphysical needs. Offering hand-selected crystals and crystal jewelry with prices to fit every budget. MySoulTopia.com offers the best selections of tarot and divination cards by top designers. Expertly curated and award-winning book collections top authors on every subject you'll need on your spiritual journey. My Soultopia is also proud to offer the finest singing bowls and an eclectic collection of the most amazing gemstones, crystals, and crystal jewelry from the top metaphysical designers in the world. MySoultopia.com is always your one-stop shop for award-winning mixes of Florida water, sage spray, and other spiritual protection. So begin your journey with the best resource, MySoulTopia.com. That's MySoulTopia.com. Why mess with the rest when you can start with the best? MySoulTopia.com. Again, that's M-Y-S-O-U-L-T-O-P-I-A.com. We are here. We've got Mackenzie Nichols, the author of I See Dead People, The Making of the Sixth Sense. And uh, just before the break, I mentioned the fact that it's always fascinating to me how these horror movies that are based on paranormal experiences sometimes end up having reality and uh, the the celluloid world crash into one another. It's happened on the, the making of The Exorcist, the Omen, the Poltergeist movie series. It's happened, yes. of course, during the making of the three very, very popular Conjuring films. So this was news to me that there was actually paranormal activity that took place around the, the filming of The Sixth Sense. What can you tell us about that, Mackenzie? Uh, I would I would say that, um, you know, the, the kids that were working on the film, uh, Misha Barton and Haley Joel Osment, um, and some of the other children that were in there. Um, so they, they filmed at the... Um, Philadelphia Convention Center, which had also mm -hmm. been called the Municipal Auditorium. And um, the history of that building, uh, they had the 1936 and the 1948 Democratic National Conventions there. And they had the 1940 and the 1948 Republican Conventions. And they had people like Martin Luther King Jr., Pope John Paul II, Nelson Mandela. It just is a very active place in terms of like, um, you know, like a ton of people have been through there and a lot of guests and a lot of people. So it wouldn't be surprising that, you know, there's some leftover activity happening like in, in that auditorium. And the kids and including Knight himself experience things like, you know, like lights flickering and like just like just the, the sense that you get that you're not alone, um, mm -hmm. I think was definitely prevalent in that building while they were there. And um, 
a lot of people said that it was, you know, the kind of the perfect place for them, for them to be. And that's where he filmed the majority of his scenes, including, um, including the famous scene, the I see dead people scene that was filmed in the convention center. Actually, it, um, he, he made cold rooms. This is a little off topic for a second, but um, he made um, cold rooms where he would create the room that he wanted Haley Joel to be in in bed and whatever. And he would pump in cold air and it would make him see his breath. Um, so he did things without the use of CGI that he later even said that he would do that again. He would, he would, instead of CGI, want them to actually feel frozen, like want that to be there. And, you know, I think that when the kids were there and they were having um, some, you know, when they were, when they were doing school stuff, they could just, they could feel a presence there. There were definitely presence there. And Misha was telling me that Haley Joel would be down the hallway, like throwing a ball against the wall or whatever. And Haley Joel came forward and said that, or when I was talking to him, he said that it definitely had like the shining feel, like mm-hmm. really abandoned hallways and, and crevices and, or not, cre- cre- yeah. Um, and, uh, and things like that. So there, nobody actually like saw anything, like any apparitions or anything like that, but there was just like a feeling the whole time that, you know, they weren't alone, that it was somewhat occupied. And I totally believe that. I mean, there were so many things that happened in that convention center and I'm, I'm a believer. I am a full paranormal believer. So, um, so, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. And um, I think it was a great place to, for him to shoot at. And I think that it was just very successful, but they also, it definitely felt spiritually occupied. I think was the phrase that Misha uh, said. So. Very cool. Now you say you're a believer. Have you ever personally had a paranormal experience, Mackenzie? Um, so, (laughs) um, sort of, yes, my, my grandparents have a house in Rhode Island that is very, very occupied. And there's this woman, um, there's this painting of this woman and she's in what my grandparents call the Rose room and she sits and she watches you and you always have to say hello and goodbye to her as you walk past. Everyone says that, that she is just absolutely terrifying. And, um, Actually, this is not my personal experience, but this is my cousin. Um, one of my cousin was was very, very sick, and she was staying in that house, and she was laying in the bed, and she was woken up to a woman saying, "Are you okay?" and putting her hand on on the girl's forehead and saying, "Are you all right?" And uh, so that happened in that house. The only thing I, the only like true thing that I have seen with my own eyes is I was walking through the house, and I could see what looked like an orb, like a, yeah, like, a, yeah, I guess it would be an orb, but it was more like rectangular or square shaped. Mm. And it was, and it was, and it was light and it was traveling like this. So, um, I, I've always been a believer in like fairies and things like that. And like, you know, all of, all of that stuff. So, um, just out of curiosity, Mackenzie, uh, yes. what color was that square? It was, it was like a, it was like a silvery white, I would say like a, okay. like a, yeah, like silvery white um, going across. And I just, I felt like there was, it could have been just a trick of the light. I don't know, but I, I felt, I felt that. And there's been a, there's, there was a man who stayed in one of the rooms in that house and he woke up to see a full body apparition at the end of his bed. Um, and he ran out, <laughs> he right. sprinted out and like ran to my grandparents and was like, I just saw something like, and um, it was, it was owned by a banker uh, a long time ago. So they say that his wife, haunts the house. And I fully believe, fully believe that. Um, but I, I mean, I love ghost adventures. I love like all of those shows. Like sure. I've, I've always been just so um, tied to the paranormal and the dark, dark things in life, I guess. Yeah. So spooky. Yeah. Yep. Now a lot of people categorize the sixth sense as a horror movie. I don't really put it in that same category. It's a great suspense thriller. Um, but it's, do you think it's been miscategorized by being in the horror genre? Um, I would say, yes, I would say that it's more, um, of a, it's a, it's more drama than it is horror. And he, when I think horror, I think of more gore. Um, I think of, I think my favorite horror movie is Nightmare on Elm Street. And that is a lot more gory. Obviously the scene with Johnny Depp and the blood coming up and whatever. So I categorize horror more in that realm, like having, mm-hmm. having more gore to it. Whereas like this movie was a PG 13 movie. It wasn't even an R rated movie, which I think was smart on their end that they did that. But, um, but man, they rode that razor's edge because yeah. I remember being a full blown adult 
at, at that time. So I would have been 30, 32 watching that movie. There were times I, I remember not breathing because you're just like, you're so just, it's such an intense scene with the spirits that make themselves known and the way poor Cole is experiencing them that you're, you, you have this empathy for the boy and for yeah. the surroundings and these stories that are unfolding. It's really, it was so beautifully done and crafted. And because of the lack of gore, I mean, you got to see some uh, people, how they appeared at their death, which was not flattering by any means. A lot of them were kind of bloody and nasty looking, but it didn't have that um, murdery vibe to it. Uh, so it was, it yeah, was it's not like, Sorry. Was, was there ever pressure put on him to come out with a sequel to The Sixth Sense? That's a really good question. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily a sequel. Mm -hmm. I would I would say to put out a film that was as big as a caliber, like mm -hmm. as that, like I think that there was a lot of pressure on him to like pump out all of these movies with twists. I wouldn't necessarily say that he... I never came across anything that said that he was thinking about doing a sequel to the sixth sense, but I think just like people were waiting for him to like do something as monumentally, you know, changing to the industry. Cause it was, I mean, it, 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 you know, the twist just totally directed the rest of cinema forever. Um, right. So I think there was, I think he definitely felt pressure for that, but I think like over time he, and I, he said this, I think, um, during a commencement speech in Drexel, at Drexel, he said that he started to learn that he's not responsible for the way things are received. Like, he, he's going to put out what he's going to put out, but he doesn't feel, you know, responsible for the way that it's, that they're, so, to be frank, I, I don't, he hasn't, he hasn't come up with one that's as, as you know, monumental as The Sixth Sense. However, right. however, signs came close. Signs, mm -hmm. signs was signs was great. Walking Phoenix is Walking Phoenix is in that, right? Yeah, Walking yes. Phoenix is wonderful in that movie. Mel um, Gibson, Walking Phoenix. You've got uh, what yes. is it? Kieran Culkin. You've got Abigail Breslin. Yep. Yeah, that was a great one. I I liked that one. So that's a close second. One of my personal favorites is Devil. Devil was mm -hmm. so smart. Um, I thought that was great. So I, I feel like he did he did feel the pressure, but I think he also, you know, was comfortable in the fact that he is both seen as a, you know, one of the top film directors ever, and then also seen as someone that like puts out a ton of flops too. So he he's aware <laughs> that he's seen he he's fully aware that he's seen both ways, I think. And um yeah, so but he told me that he's been offered everything like like Harry Potter, like he was like offered like, you know, like a lot of other um things but um yeah so i mean i also the village i i don't know if you remember when the village came out they had like a website for the village that was so much fun like it was just really really well done in terms of publicity wise and i was so 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 excited to see that movie like it was and i still i liked it a lot i didn't expect the end but that was another one of those movies where he really, really tried to do the twist thing because there was a massive twist at the end of the village also. Um, right. It wasn't as impactful as The Sixth Sense was, but he's put out some very interesting um, things. I think Old was really good. The one Old recently, I really enjoyed that one with the guy the that's visit? in Hereditary. Huh? Yeah, The, the Visit uh, was, the visit was, was great. one of his returns to really kind of, I, I think, grabbing the genre again. There's, yeah. there's been excellent attributes to every one of the movies. Yeah. With the exception of the the one with the plant life, that that's just crap. Uh, sorry, Mister <laughs> Shaman, if you're watching, <laughs> I know he's a huge fan. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the the work and the effort. Boy, that's got to be a lot of stress when people put you into that category, coming out with your freshman hit being that, and then following up with Signs and Unbreakable. That's a pretty good trifecta of movies to come out of. And then you know, how do you continue? plotting that and you know I, I wonder for him if he ever kind of kicks himself that he didn't do more things that were out of the genre like harry potter or some of these other movies where he could have no you, you think he, he just likes being m night Shyamalan yeah. and that's good enough yeah yes i think i think so i feel comfortable saying that i think yeah 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 very I cool think so. 
Well, what was some of the surprising bits for you doing the interviews with the stars and, and behind the scenes uh, and speaking to the man himself? What was some of the biggest surprises that you uh, kind of uncovered during the making of the book? Um, biggest surprises. And we do have a link for the book, I See Dead People, The Making of the Sixth Sense in today's program guide. And again, folks, I'm going to ask you, when you get the book, make sure to go back and rate and review the book because ratings and reviews help the authors considerably so that their books get a higher profile, are seen more, and more people can find them. And with the holidays right around the corner, this would be a great stocking stuffer for your favorite paranormal enthusiast in the family or your favorite paranormal host just thinking about it anyway uh yeah what are, what are some of your uh maybe maybe just some of the more shocking or or holy beep seconds for you to kind of uncover as you were talking about the movie um that is a really good question um i would say it surprised me that um like you know the scene at the end with tony collette in the car with Haley. right um that they said was the hardest scene to film and that surprised me that out of all of the ones I, I just, I just didn't, I didn't expect that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that it just, I think that Tony Collette and Haley Joel developed such a beautiful bond throughout the, throughout the making of that movie that like they could just, the, the emotions were just so palpable and like, and I definitely think it like, it showed the viewer, you know, how important it is for us as, family member or like with our family members to communicate about these things. And I think that, and it also, it also like applies to, I talked to this woman who um, names Rosalind and she's an energy healer and a clairvoyant and a medicine woman. And she was talking about how, instead of like, when, when we see children that have that say like, you know, mom, I can, I can see this. Like I, I can see this, you know? Right. Instead of like telling them, Oh no, you can't like, we need to, we need to be more communicative with our children about this. And I, I was just, I thought it was surprising. That scene didn't strike me as one that would have been the hardest to film, but right. I guess like, just like the, the emotions behind it and like making sure that they got it all right. But I think that they cared, Tony Collette and Haley Joel, like have such a beautiful relationship that I think that they really cared about each other and filming that all day long and just, at, you know, take after take of crying and crying. And um, I, I think that surprised me and um what did, else did did m night Shyamalan talk about having his own paranormal experiences is that what led him to write uh, and create a movie like this it's a really good that's another great question um i don't i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure actually i don't think that he i don't think he did but um like nothing that i've read or even in the it's probably a question i should have asked him <laughs> But um, well, what, what inspired him to do this? Was it just, did, did he wake up with this idea one day and put pen to paper? Because, you know, that's paranormal in its sense, in itself, yeah. that, that that inspiration, if it came out of nothing from his own personal life, where did he get that yeah. determination to create this movie? It's a good question. I'm, I don't know if I know the answer to that, actually. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I, I think I think he originally I don't think he intended on making the um, making it be like so paranormal I guess because like mm -hmm. he wanted it to be like a science of the lambs kind of thing. So being a photographer with his son that I guess has vision. So maybe he was. Yeah, it's a really good question. Oh, you know what? I just remembered this. Um, when he was growing up, he would tell his siblings and cousins scary stories. And he actually like scared them so bad that they would like run to their parents and be like, oh, you see, so scary. Yes, yeah, so actually, thank you for bringing that up. Cause that just sparked the, I just remembered. Yeah. 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 So he, um, yeah, he would, I, he was a storyteller from the get go, even as a kid. Um, and I think, yeah, he would, he would scare his younger siblings and stuff like that. So I think he always had like a paranormal kind of brain. Right. Once that, you realize that power, of fright and how you can affect and impact people's way of thinking. It's a great, great, but dangerous skill to have. Uh, the book I see dead people out and available. We have a link for that on today's program guide. Mackenzie Nichols. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you. Very cool. All right, folks. So whether you're just a fan of the paranormal or you're someone who sees dead people, you're not alone. As we found out by talking to Chris Fleming and so many of our other friends throughout the years, 
This is an amazing and sometimes latent ability that's within all of us. Even the most hardened skeptics sometimes will lean in and tell me, I don't really believe in this, but I, I did have this one experience, that one niggling thing in the back of their brain that they still can't wrap their brains around. What did it mean and what was it? Was it something that truly falls under the spectrum of the paranormal? I think that's part of the beauty of life is that we are left with these questions that maybe we're never meant to truly have the full answer, but to know that we're not alone in seeking these answers, that we're not alone in seeking truth, whatever that may mean to you. I hope that the darkness is just a little bit more light with the information that we share here on this program and that you feel that sense of community that is the paranormal. Thank you for taking me along on your journey, and I hope that we can continue this journey for many more years to come until you can eventually see me long after I pass. We'll be back again Wednesday. Make sure that you're here for a brand new Paranormal 60 News. I'm Dave Schrader, and this is my Paranormal 60.